Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the second part of our series, Total Truth. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax, here it is. Um, but one of the things that I say pretty well, because we, we usually preach and teach in series at church, one thing I always say is like, if you missed a previous message, go online and check it out. Uh, but like, for this series, doubly so. If you missed part one, check it out online, podcast, YouTube, wherever, and uh, just encourage you, uh, if you're knowing in advance that you're not going to be here for maybe part three or part four, check it out online, because really every single week we're going to be building uh, on top of concepts and, and truths that we have learned from the previous week. So with that being said, I'm really going to teach today. So we got a lot to do. Are you guys ready to go? So are you guys ready to go this morning? Okay, I want to encourage you. There's going to be a lot of like content information because I'm really teaching today. So if you guys have like your phones or a notebook, take out your notes because you're going to want to write some of this stuff down. Uh, for the sake of time, because I got so much to diffuse into us today, uh, I cannot really give you a full recap of part one. But I'll let you know, in short, what is this series all about? Total truth. What are we talking about in this collection of messages? Pretty simple. What we said is this. When you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus... He does not just give you a framework for parts of your life or some things or certain things. When you follow Jesus, he gives you a way of viewing the world through not just a part of it, but everything. Jesus gives us a lens to view our entire world, i.e., he is total truth. That's kind of where this series comes from. Again, if you missed part one, check it out online. What we're going to do today is this. What I want to do is I want to discuss this whole idea of a world view. So we're going to look at two things. Number one, what is a worldview? And number two, what does it mean to have a Christian worldview? Now, as I was writing this message, there was actually a third thing that I was going to do, and I was going to talk about what is our current cultural worldview. But I simply ran out of time. So, guess what? This message is two parts. So you've got to come back next week because I'm going to really finish it. So I'm going to lay some groundwork today, finish it next week. And if you guys remember last week, I gave you the whole outline and, like, I was really organized. Don't worry. I'm going to fit it all in somehow. Pray for me. Come on, somebody. So today, all about the idea of a worldview, i.e., how do I view the world? So uh, one of the things that I believe to be true is that every single one of us, we view the world um, one of two ways, and most of the time we view it through two lenses. All of us have what I would call a rational side and an emotional side. We have a rational side and an emotional side. Now, some of us lean more emotional. Come on, somebody. Some of us lead more rational. Where are my rational folks at today in the building? Come on. And so what happens, and again, if, if you know me, uh, I lean more like the rational than the emotional. We had uh, an unofficial poll of the favorite series that everyone had of 2021, and what won was untangling emotions. And that's because there's a whole bunch of emotional people in this church. <laughs> now, for me, because I lean rational, I love total truth 
more than I love untangling emotions. Yet, despite which way you may lean, every single one of us, we are not 100% emotional or 100% rational. All of us are both emotional beings and rational beings. I would just say we probably lend uh, or lean one way or another. As I said, for me, like I'm a rational person. And so what that means is like I need things to make sense. I cannot, I will not just take things at face value. They have to make sense for me. Like one thing that does not make sense for me is I don't believe in a seatbelt law. (laughs) Now listen to me. I wear a seatbelt every single time I drive. But I do not believe that you should be fined for not wearing a seatbelt. Why? Because if you want to fly through your windshield and crack your skull, why should anyone pay money? for their own demise. That's the rational side of me speaking. If you guys have an idea of why you believe the seatbelt law should go into place, come and talk to me later, because it doesn't make sense. Now, I believe you should wear a seatbelt. I think if you're rational, you wear a seatbelt. But if you're irrational, why are we finding you? Anyways, got to get to the word today. I'm just letting you guys into my mind a little bit. Now, one of the things that people will say especially when it comes to Christianity and following Jesus. One of the critiques you might hear is that Christianity is just 100% emotionalism. Believers, all they do is feel. They're not necessarily rational. It's just belief, faith, blind, following the blind. If you're a rational person, you guys have probably heard this, rational people believe in science. We believe in evidence. We believe in that which makes sense, that which is logical. And for a lot of people, Christianity, at least on the surface, they would label as irrational or at least something that is 100% purely based on faith. Now, if we're being honest, I would say that even people in this room today that follow Jesus, we would probably classify ourselves as kind of in that camp. And what I mean by that is like you would be okay to say, yeah, I follow Jesus, I have faith, it doesn't really make sense, but if we're like really being honest, if someone were to come into our grill and critique us and challenge us and and ask us, well, can you give me some logical reasoning for why you follow Jesus, I would wager to guess there'd be many people in this room that would have zero or very little answer for why they follow Jesus logically. It would go somewhere along the lines of, well, like, When the bass hits in worship, it just feels really good. And like, come on, Kaylin. Kaylin is rocking the bass today. You guys can clap your hands for Kaylin. But it's like, I I follow Jesus. Like, I, I don't, I don't, Harrison, I don't need to think deeply. I just know it makes me feel good. And that's really all that matters. Like, he died for my sins. Amen. Now, again, I want you to understand something. I believe there is a truth. I believe that it does take faith to follow Jesus. Do not misunderstand me. And I actually believe that when you follow Jesus, you feel good. In fact, you feel really good. But what I also believe to be true is that if we follow Jesus, and it is purely emotionalism, and what I mean by that is that it only makes me feel good, but I don't really have a rational understanding of why I follow Jesus, I believe one of two things happens. Number one, our lives become split. And I talked a little about this last week, and what that looks like is like I come to church, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but when I get to my college campus, when I get to my job, when I get to my workplace, I really don't feel like I have anything to say. 
In fact, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to these people because my understanding of Jesus doesn't really have any logical or rational basis. That's the first thing. But the second thing, which I think happens more often than not and is happening more so than ever, is that for a lot of people, because God, I believe, has created us both as emotional and rational, for a lot of people, if our rational never catches up with our emotional, eventually and inevitably, we just leave God altogether. Because we say things like, well, I don't really think that Jesus is relevant in 2023. I don't really think that my belief system impacts me as I go to work, school, so on and so forth. You see, the truth is this. If you never have a rational understanding of why you follow Jesus, you are setting yourself up for failure. However, the good news is this. Jesus never calls us to simply love us, love him, based on emotions. Matthew 22, when they're talking about the greatest commandment, Jesus replies, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and what's the last word? All your mind. So the call to follow Jesus is not simply emotional. It's not simply just a feeling. It's heart, soul, mind. It is all-encompassing. And so, as I said, if we do not have that all-encompassing faith, I believe, as I said, one of two things will happen. Uh, Dorothy Sayers is an English poet, and she said this. She said, if religion does not speak to our work lives, in other words, it doesn't have to be work, but school, just other parts, then it has nothing to say about what we do with the vast majority of our time. And no wonder people say religion is irrelevant. How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern over nine-tenths of their life? Listen to this, church. When we come here on Sunday mornings, we are not trying to develop a Sunday morning faith. Because this is one hour of our lives. And the beautiful thing about Scripture and why I'm so pumped for this series is I don't believe the Bible gives us a one in ten kind of faith. It gives us 100% total truth. Sad news, many Christians have no idea how to view the world through the lens of Jesus and the Bible. Now, I told you guys I'm a rational person. And so I think I have good news because I believe that rationally speaking, I think it makes the most sense in the entire world to follow Jesus. So the reason I called this message the truth that sets free is I want to do two things. I want you to understand there is freedom in knowing that your belief system can exist outside of this place. There's freedom in understanding that. And there is also freedom in understanding and knowing that what I'm doing actually is logical. It makes sense. I'm not just wandering around like some crazy person. To follow Jesus is logical. So what I want to do today is I want to show you how that whole idea is actually embedded in scripture. So John chapter 1, I don't think it was working before. I have it for you guys now. This is what it says. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So you've probably heard this verse at some point. If you've been to Burger Priest downtown, it's on the wall. It says, in the beginning, you guys ever been there? Check it out. I'll tell you guys a story in a second. In the beginning was the word. 
and the word was with God. Now, you're probably like, what is that like capital W word? Like, what, what does that mean? So that word is the Greek word logos. It was a really confusing sentence. But what you see as word is the Greek word logos. And so one of the cool things about scripture, which I want us to understand, is that scripture is never disconnected from the context and the surrounding world in which it was written. And so when John wrote the gospel, there was this Greek word logos. And what logos really meant was rationale, divine logic. And so the Greeks had this idea that essentially was this, that the world was created by the logos. In other words, the world was created by the divine logic. The world was ordered, it was set in motion by this force that they called logos. Does that make sense? And so in essence, what the Greeks believed was kind of like our modern day energy slash vibes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, let's just send energy. I'm sending you my vibes. If we just have great energy, the world will change. In essence, the Greeks kind of believed something like that. There was this divine energy, this good energy that created and ordered the world. Now, what I love about the Bible, as I said, that John speaks not some distant foreign language. He speaks their language. And he says, hey, listen, you are right. There is a divine logic that has created the world. But what he's saying in John chapter 1 is you're wrong about who and what the divine logic is. And so what John chapter 1 is saying, he's saying in the beginning was the word, the divine logic. He's saying the word was with God, the word was God. What he's referring to here is Jesus. And so what's really cool and why I'm showing you this passage, and there's a ton you can get in John chapter 1. But what I want to take out of it is this, is since the very beginning, since the inception of the world, Everything that we see around us has been divinely structured and ordered by God through Jesus. And so what that means is when we look at the world, especially as believers, it is not through the lens of 100% faith. In other words, I don't have to just hope and, and try to just make sense of everything. No, no, no. Everything has been ordered divinely by God. And this is good news. Why? Because we can actually make sense of the world. I told you guys I talk about Burger Priests, so I will really quickly. I went there. It was on the wall. I told them that was Greek because it was actually written like literally in Greek and English. And she's like, no, it's Hebrew. And I'm like, trust me, it's Greek. Anyways, that's the story in case someone wanted me to complete that rabbit trail. <laughs> but it is Greek. As it just shows you, logos is a Greek word. So, anyways, here's the implication. God, coming, coming back, coming back, forget Burger Priest. God is both logical and rational. And that is a characteristic of him that has been implanted into the very DNA of our universe. So, what that means is that we, as believers, seek to try to understand the universe in which God has divinely ordered. Now, this is where we begin to talk about a world view. How do I view the world? So, really simple definition. What's a worldview? A worldview is the lens in which we view the world. Pretty simple. Now, whether you know this or not, every single person in this room, you have a distinct way in which you view the world. Now, 
The thing that is interesting about our culture, and as I said, you got to come back next week because I'm going to really suss it out. But what is interesting about our culture is that it would be really hard to try and pinpoint one specific worldview for our current culture. Because where we live, especially in Canada, especially in North America, we have kind of a smorgasbord of different worldviews. And so you didn't know this, but I'm going to show us next week. The average person in Canada, you want to know the lens in which they view the world? It's through the lens of Jesus. Buddha. A little bit of Karl Marx. A little bit of Margaret Sanger. A little bit of Hitler. You're like, Hitler? Come back next week, people. What we don't realize, especially because of the culture that we live in, we are influenced by so many things, not just today, but throughout history, that have now distinctly given us what we're calling a world view. Now, where I want to go today, because again, I'm kind of teasing next week how other people view the world, but what I want us to understand is that many times, even those of us in the church are more influenced by those people I just mentioned than Jesus. And a lot of times, we actually think that Buddha said what Jesus said. Two different people, in case you didn't know. Today, what we're going to do is that we are going to begin to distinctly and hopefully succinctly describe what is a biblical worldview. In other words, how do I view the world through the lens of Jesus? So, for a lot of us, and just kind of, again, like, I think what's crazy about 2023, especially when it comes to worldviews, um, you guys probably didn't know this, but you have been formed, more likely than not, not even by a person, as much as an algorithm. You all know what the algorithm is? And so every single day, all of us are constantly being fed information, and it is beginning to give us a certain worldview. So what happens, especially when it comes to our worldview, if you do not have an understanding of how you view the world, you will eventually become a walking contradiction. And what I mean by that is that you have so many competing worldviews that you can't even keep straight what you believe. So my hope today is for us that follow Jesus, try to get us on a very solid path. Can we do that? You guys ready? Okay, let's go. This is, again, going to try to keep this in in time. Because what we're going to do, we're going to look at the Christian worldview, which actually, which is crazy, you can develop simply by reading the very first three books of the Bible. Three chapters of the first book. That's what I meant. Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Like, y'all seen the Bible? You guys have a Bible? Lift up a Bible if you've got a Bible. Really big. Come on, lift it high, lift it proud. These are the saved people right here. <laughs> Huge book. In the first three chapters of that humongous book, you can actually develop a biblical worldview. And if you truly understand Scripture, what Scripture is doing, the whole of the Bible, is unpacking the implications of Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 3. Kind of crazy. So what we're going to do, and for the sake of time, I cannot read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So this week, as you're at home, if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. But grab a Bible, read Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a bird's eye view of Genesis 1 through 3, and I'm going to show us what the biblical worldview is. How do we as followers of Jesus view the world? So this is for every single worldview, including Christianity, but every worldview... And this is where I want you guys to start taking notes. Every single worldview must answer three distinct questions. The creation question. Number one, where did we come from? The fall question, which is number two, what went wrong? And the redemption question, 
how can the world be set right again? So for those of you guys that have been in church for a long time, you're thinking to yourself, okay, like I understand that like, seems very Christian-y, creation, fall, redemption. What I'm going to show us is that literally every single worldview follows this same paradigm, which is kind of cool. You guys coming back next week? A couple people bringing a friend? Come on. So what we're going to do, biblical worldview. So first thing we're going to answer is the creation question. Every worldview must answer, where do we come from? What does the Bible let us know? So creation question, why this is important, where we came from determines who we are. Pretty simple. So Genesis chapter 1 answers the question. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what we learn, this is the first verse of the entire Bible. What we learn right away is that God is creator. He has created everything, the heavens and the earth. Now, the question you always get is like, well, who created God? This lets us know something really important. You're asking the wrong question because what Genesis 1.1 lets us know, can we go back for a second? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so everything that we see in our realm, God exists outside of it. In other words, he is eternal. He was not created. He has existed from the beginning, and he will exist all the way to the end. We as creation exist in the time and the frame that he created. So we learn that all in Genesis chapter 1. Where do we come from? God. But we learn even more. Genesis 1.27, and the whole creation account, God creates. Birds, sky, light, darkness, all this cool stuff. Then 27, it says, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So when you go through Genesis chapter 1, if you really understand it, because it's poetic, is that it all sets up, creation is all set up to, to bring us to the climax of creation, which is day 6. And the climax of God's creation is, you guessed it, humans, you and I. Can I tell you something kind of cool? In Genesis chapter 2, it just like redoes the creation story again to really set up like the climax. And so in the Genesis 2 account, it's not even that like, humans are the apex of creation because Adam comes, but then Eve is created to let us know that it's actually women that are the true crown of creation. Come on, somebody. Come on, amen, somebody. So anyways, just a side note, uh, I love my wife, amen. Um, but what I want us to see in Genesis chapter one and what is really important is that if we know that God is the creator and we are his creation, there's a whole bunch of implications. Number one, what we know is where we came from. It is the question that plagues so many people. Where did I come from? Well, the Bible lets us know we came from God. But another important principle that we understand is that if we, as creation, have a creator, this gives us intrinsic value. Why? Because whenever there is a creator, the creation automatically has value. And what values creation is not even what is created, it is that who creates it. I'll give you guys an example. We have twin girls, they're three years old, and sometimes they draw, doodle, all that kind of stuff. And a couple times, uh, their drawings have made their way onto the fridge. I don't know who put them there, but someone put it on the fridge. And the reason these really screw 
scribbles make their way onto the fridge is not because of what was created, but was because of what and who created the drawing. So those drawings have value simply because my cute little three-year-old girls drew them. There's a thing that is built into creation. Anything that is created automatically has value because of that which created it. Am I making sense? And so we learn a very important principle. And listen, we're, we're beginning to develop a world view. What is the biblical worldview? Anything that God created has value. Even more than that, his crown of creation, humanity, has the utmost value. What we also learn, and this is good news, but kind of bad news for you pet lovers out there. It says, be fruitful and <laughs> Sorry. Rule over... <laughs> Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, every living creature. God has given us as creation dominion over the entire world. And so for the pet owners, my only joke is if you think a dog is as valuable as a human. Listen, they're very valuable because they are God's creation. But humans exist above them. Just saying it in case you didn't know it. Love y'all. Don't hate me. Especially for the fur babies out there. Do not hate me. I'm just preaching the word here. But... Humans, animals, we have intrinsic value because God has given us such. And so when we get Genesis chapter 1, what we see is kind of this euphoric picture. There's this beautiful creation. We, as the apex of creation, have this intrinsic value. Yet every single one of us experience what I would call the reality of our situation, which is that God has created everything with beauty, with splendor, yet the world doesn't always feel beautiful and full of splendor. And so that leads us to the next question. We have the creation question, where do we come from? But the next question is the fall question. And the fall question is simply this, what went wrong? Because we know, okay, God's created everything beautiful, but Harrison, why are there wars? Why is there sickness? Why is there disease? Why is there death? If everything is created good and with value, what happened? That's the fall question. And again, the Bible gives us an answer. So Genesis chapter three, and I'm just, going to give us to recap. I'm not going to read it. But what happens in, in this picture, we have Adam and Eve, who are the creation, uh, the male and the female. They live in the Garden of Eden, uh, which again is this place of perfection, beauty, all these things. And in the garden, there's a tree, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and God has one thing that he says. He says, hey, don't eat from the tree. If you eat from it, you're going to die. Fast forward, and there's a snake in the tree, the devil, Satan, that crafty son of a gun, in the tree. He sees Eve, and deceives her. And I've, I've preached on this story a whole bunch. So if you go back in the YouTube archives, you can get a better version of this story. I'm just flying through it. Um, but what happens is Adam and Eve disobey God. They do not listen. They eat the fruit. And the Bible lets us know that at that time, this kind of big word, sin, enters the world. And so from that moment on, what happens, the implication is essentially this. Humanity rebels against God. They disobey. And ever since that moment, all of creation is now living in a state of rebellion against God. And so God has created everything, all of us, this world as eternal. Everything now is marred by sin and death. And so what happens, and again, when I said the rest of the Bible plays out the implications of sin, what we find out is what a world looks like that is not the way in which God has created it to be. Everything that you see around us, including the guy deadlifting next door, is marred um, by sin and death. He's not going to die doing deadlifts, but 
all of us one day will die because um, of sin. And so that, this fall question helps us make sense of the world. Everything around us that was, especially us as humans, that was supposed to be eternal is now temporary. But what happens and what I want us to understand is that the fall does not fully undo creation. And so all of the stuff that we still have and and learn about ourselves in creation does not simply go away because of the fall. You and I still have value. You and I still have purpose. And above all, this is the part I want us to understand, is that you and I still know deep down inside that we were made for something more. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this. It says, he, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time and he has set eternity in the human heart. So this this verse, what it's letting us know, is that because of where we came from, because of our creation account, it lets us know why when we view the world that is now in sin, that has fallen, we understand why it doesn't sit well with us. You see, death, decay, heartbreak, all of that stuff has been a reality for all of humanity, for all time. Yet, there is not one of us that is ever in a place where that stuff becomes normal. Why? Because the Bible lets us know that God has created us for something more. He has made everything beautiful and eternity is in our hearts. That is why we long for beauty. That is why we long for meaning. That is why we long for purpose because we still reflect the heart of our creator. So that's the creation account. Then we have the fall account. The question is this, and this is what really tugs every single one of our hearts, which is number three, the redemption question. And the redemption question is simply this, how will God make this right? How will, well not God, how will this be made right? In the Christian sense, how does God make this right? So um, again, for us as humans, we all, and this is everyone, whatever your belief system, all of us view the world and we ask ourselves, how will this be made right? Right? Whatever your belief system, everyone is asking the question, how will this get better? Genesis chapter 3 lets us know the answer to the question. This is known as, in Latin, the proto-evangelium. In other words, the first good news of the entire Bible. God, after the fall, he speaks to the devil, to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. So you're like, what the heck does that mean? So this is God speaking to the devil. And the part that we need to understand is the last two verses. God is speaking to him, and he's saying to the devil that Jesus will crush your head, and you will only strike his heel. This is a picture, and it's a prophetic picture of the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus was pricked. But what we find out and what we know is that when he died, he defeated sin. He defeated death. God is redeeming and making everything right. That is the promise that we get in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And the rest of Scripture is the unpacking of how God makes things right. So, that was a lot. And I flew through it. So, what I want to do is I want us to understand really what this makes, how this makes us view the world now and what it means to us today. So, we understand this, creation. Where did we come from? This is the biblical worldview I'm giving us. Again, you're like, Harrison, I don't believe in the Bible. Cool. Come back next week. I'll give you other worldviews. Here's the biblical one. What do we believe? We believe that God is creator. We all have value. We have dominion on this place. God has given us purpose, beauty, all these things. But because of the fall... 
because sin entered the world, now death has also come with it. And so everything that was beautiful and perfect has now been marred by sin. But we still see little pieces and pictures of that beauty. We still long for something more. And that is why deep down inside of us, we all ask, how will this be made right? As a Christian, we believe that Jesus is the answer. And on the cross, he put to death sin, the grave, hell, and anyone that believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Come on, somebody. Amen. But you're saying, Harrison, hold on. I'm a Christian. I believe this. But, like, my life still doesn't look great right now. They're still hurting and heartbreak right now. But, like, I thought Jesus has redeemed. I thought he's put to bed, like, all the bad stuff. Now, this is what scholars typically call the already but not yet. So if you didn't know this, as believers, we live in the already, but not yet. You're like, Harrison, what does that mean? On the cross, Jesus defeated sin and death. He holds the keys to Hades. He, like, he has defeated, he has won. Sin has no place in this world. Yet, it's not fully come made new until Jesus comes back again. And so that's why it's called already, the work is done. It's been done on the cross, but now we live in the not yet, which is the process of God redeeming everything. Until one day when he comes back, he will literally make everything new. And that which we see in Genesis chapter 1, God will make new for all of us for all of eternity. And so we live as believers in this place where we know we have a hope and a blessed assurance but we also know that we're still going to experience some things here on earth, which is the consequences of sin and death and the reality of God still in the process of redeeming and renewing and making everything right. So I'll give us an example in a moment of how we then view the world through this lens because it can still kind of be fuzzy. But what I want us to understand is this. This paradigm, creation, fall, redemption, every single worldview that you can think of uses this paradigm, whether they know it or not. And the question you're asking yourself is why? Like why would they use kind of this like religious paradigm to view the world? Why would my friend atheist Adam, why would he view the world like this? Nancy Piercy, who wrote the book Total Truth, who a lot of this stuff is based off, says this. She says humans are inherently religious beings created to be in relationship with God. And if they reject God, look at this, they don't stop being religious. They simply find some other ultimate principle upon which to base their lives. And so what happens is when we reject God, if God is who he says he is, if the creation account is real, we're still created in his image. And so every single worldview, whether they know it or not, still is borrowing from this paradigm because I believe this paradigm is endowed in us by the creator. And so, again, come back next week, and I'm going to really show us how this plays out. But as we conclude today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of play out this biblical worldview for, like, Harrison, okay, I know this, I understand this, creation, fall, redemption, but how do I view the world around me? using this paradigm because the whole idea of a worldview is that through this paradigm literally anything hear me anything that happens on planet earth anything that happens in your life you can use this paradigm to give you hope to give you healing to give you peace but also to make sense of what is going on around you 
because God has not left us here hopeless and helpless trying to figure out what's going on. He has given us a paradigm to understand what's happening. So if you're here today, you're watching, listening, you're like, I don't really know if I follow Jesus, believe in Jesus, totally fine, love you. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Whatever your worldview is, whether you're an agnostic, whether you're like, I don't really care, you gotta ask yourself two things. Does my worldview, number one, make sense? It has to make sense. But then number two, and this is the most important one, does my worldview bring me peace? In other words, when I, when I go out, when I experience, when I go through things, does my way of viewing the world make sense? So I want to give you guys an example of a biblical worldview, and then I'm going to kind of also show you a little bit of the contradiction that our world kind of lives in right now with this, as I said, smorgasbord, charcuterie board of worldviews that uh, people kind of... Um, have right now. So, how many of you guys, it was about three weeks ago, heard of the football player, Damar Hamlin, who had um, a heart attack on the field? Anyone hear that? So, for those of you guys that don't know the story, football player, three weeks ago, Monday Night Football, middle of the game, he gets tackled, uh, and, like, his heart stops. And so, on the field, like, it's really scary scene. Reports are, like, they did CPR for, like, seven minutes. So he's just there, like lifeless, everyone's watching. And so I heard that it was going on, and so obviously I tuned into the game to kind of see what was happening. Um, when, I when I turned the TV on, I was with my wife, Christy, and the game had already cut, and they were in the studio talking about um, just what had happened. And so this is like literally right when Christy and I turned it on, um, the guy was speaking. Now, I want to give him grace because I have no clue what his story is, um, what his belief system is, and it's really hard to like go on air. Um, and talk about a tragedy. So just understand that. Like, I'm not judging this guy, not piling on this guy. I just thought it was really interesting what he said and just, just shows you how worldviews work. So again, there's a guy, cardiac arrest, super scary, tragic. He comes on the air. I turn on the TV, and this is what he says. He says, and this is a paraphrase, but he says, you know what? Um, you don't have to believe in a higher power or anything like that, but now would be a great time to pray. And I was listening, I was like, I was like, cool. And like, I agree, like, listen, I'm, I'm obviously I'm a believer, I believe that we should be praying, and like, I actually think that, if you don't know his story, he's like, he's out of the hospital now, which is crazy. And I actually think it's the prayers of like so many people um, that did that. But this guy was like, you don't have to believe in anything, <laughs> but now is a great time to pray. Um, and I just thought it was a really interesting statement. But it also shows you the importance of a worldview. Because, listen, you don't have to believe in anything. You can go through your entire world believing we are here by chance, we are just a random mistake or accident. But the question that I said is that when push comes to shove, when you're going through things, you have to ask yourself, does my worldview bring me peace? Yeah. And one of the things, I think the great equalizer, and this is what we understand from the fall question, is that death, pain, hardships, all of these things are coming inevitably and eventually. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we have a paradigm to view the world when these things happen? And so in this moment, what I see is a smorgasbord of ideas that our culture currently has. Something that says, I don't believe in a higher power, but I also think we should really pray right now that something makes this right. So what I want to do is I want to actually, and I'm going through the Damar Hamlin story because... He's well, and he's good, and so I think it's appropriate now. But I want to show you how, as a believer, 
we view this very situation. Can I do that really quickly? So, number one, if you guys, and most of you guys here knew the story because it was quite gripping. So, creation question, where do we come from? I think as we view a story such as Damar Hamlin, the question we must first ask ourselves is why does anyone care? Why does anyone care? Because, listen to this, the creation question has so many implications for how we live our lives. So, if we are just here, I'm going to go from like the Darwinian naturalistic point of view, which is we essentially evolved over years, billions of years of death, and uh, there's no creative power, it's just random, all that stuff. If you have that perspective, you must ask yourself the question, when there's a man that is going through pain, possibly death, why does anyone care? If death, as a naturalist, is really our second language, why would anyone care when someone's about to die? Again, you guys following? Worldviews. You must ask these questions. Now, as believers, we have a really good answer for the question of why the world was gripped as this man was teetering between life and death. Pretty simple. We believe that every single person was created in the image of God. And they have intrinsic and inherent value. And death is something that is not natural to us. It does not make sense because we were never created to experience it. And so when we view this story through the lens of creation, we understand why it tugs our hearts. Because we know where we came from. Do you guys follow him? So we get to the fall paradigm now. So really simply, what's going on? Right? One of the things, especially during tragic times, hard times, people begin to say, well, if there is a God, why would he let this happen? How could he let this happen? The fall paradigm lets us know the consequences of death entering the world, sin entering the world, is that every single one of us will one day inevitably and eventually die. Sickness, disease, whatever it may be, those things are here on this side of heaven because sin has entered the world. You need to understand, as a believer, we do not believe that there is no pain when you follow Jesus. We do not believe if you follow Jesus, you will never experience hard times. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us a different paradigm, that because of the fall, we experience all of those things. So, Last question, of course, is redemption. As we view a situation like Damar Hamlin, how do we have hope? How will this get better? Now, the beautiful thing is as believers, we always have a two-fold hope because we live in the already and the not yet. When Jesus came to earth, if you read the New Testament, one of the things that you will see is time and time again, there is healing. There is miraculous. There is God like sometimes literally bringing people back from the dead. Now, when your heart stops, you kind of are brought back from the dead. And so what Jesus was doing when he healed, he was ushering in the kingdom of heaven. And what I mean by that is he was giving us a picture of what is, but also what is to come. There is a day for those who are in Christ Jesus where every single dead thing, every single broken thing will be restored. It will be brought back. There is a hope that we as believers have that God is making everything new. And so I have a hope, even if someone is lying lifeless, that if this is the end, it's only temporary. It's only for a moment because one day God will bring us to glory and bring us back in glory, resurrected. 
But the beautiful thing, in a moment, like when there's someone that we need to pray for, Damar Hamlin in that moment, as believers, we don't just have hope that says, well, one day he's going to get resurrected. We can actually pray and believe that God has the power to literally bring dead things back to life, to heal broken things, to restore. That's just the God that we serve. That's the paradigm through which we view the world. And so we have a hope in every season, in every circumstance, that if not now, one day God will make things new. And so as we begin to look at our world, because this is just a paradigm for one story, and I'm trying to give us just a framework. As believers, you can take this same paradigm and literally bring it to anything and begin to have, I believe, a picture of hope. A picture of a God that was not satisfied with the fall, but said and promised and came to make all things new. So I want to just, as we kind of close, I want to ask a really simple question. For whatever your worldview is, because maybe you're a Christian, but you don't necessarily think like a Christian. or Maybe you don't really know where you stand. I want to ask you a really simple question. Does your worldview give you peace? Listen, the way that you are living today, is it bringing you peace? Now, if you follow Jesus and you do not have peace, I would wager to guess perhaps the Lord wants to change the way that you think, change the way that you view the world, change the way that you've been viewing your circumstance, your situation. But maybe you're in a place where you haven't necessarily invited or accepted this Christian, this biblical worldview, and that's okay. That's why we're doing this series. So happy you could be here. But I want to ask you a simple question. Is the way that you have been living, does it give you peace? Does it make sense of the world? Does it, does it give you answers to the questions in the longing of your heart for why am I here? Where did I come from? What is my purpose? Is there hope? And if you're in a place right now where the way that you've been living, the way that you've been thinking does not bring you peace, I want to give you a very simple invitation. It's an invitation to repentance. Now what repentance means literally is to think different to think different. When Jesus came to earth, the very first thing he says, he says, repent and believe. And so what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, I want to think differently. And I'm sorry because if I'm being honest, as I've been going my way, my way has not led to peace. It has not led to life. It's been the opposite. It's led to anxiety. It's led to depression. It's led to dead things. It's led to broken things. So I don't want to think that way anymore. I want a new paradigm. I want a different paradigm. And I want to extend that invitation to you today. If you feel like, man, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to think like this. I want a new way of thinking. I want to invite you into the way of Jesus. John 16, 33 is my favorite scripture in the whole entire Bible. Jesus, he says this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. This is a promise, it's twofold. In this world, you will have trouble. As we invite you into the way of Jesus, do not be mistaken, there are still hard times, there are still hard things. That's a promise, that's why I said scripture promises it. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. 
In other words, whatever we're experiencing, whatever we're going through, is just temporary. It's just for a moment. Now, in the midst of pain, temporary feels really long, but the promise of Jesus is it's just for a moment. It's just temporary. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And so I want to make an invitation today. I know I know, I did a lot of teaching. That was really diffusing information, but I never want to leave this place without inviting you to come into a relationship with Jesus. And so can we just stand for a second, church? If you're here today and you just feel like you need a new way, this invitation is for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just want to say, Harrison, I don't, you know, like, <laughs> that was a lot of information. I'm not even sure I understand it all, but I need peace. I want, that, I want that Jesus guy that you're talking about. If that's you right now, could you just show me your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Listen, if there's someone in here, I want, I want to make one more appeal. If you're hard-headed, if you're thick-skulled, welcome to the club. You feel like you're too rational for God. But if today you want to repent, you want to leave your way behind, and you want to enter into his way, I want to give that invitation as well. Can you show me your hand? Every head is still bowed, every eye is closed. Thank you. Jesus, you see every single hand, you see every single heart. God, I just thank you that you are the divine logic. I thank you that you have brought and, and, bow, and endowed in each of us your DNA. And God, I thank you that we are created in your image and we have value, we have purpose, Lord. So I just pray today for every hand that was raised in this place, God, that they can step into a new way, a way of hope, a way of peace, and a way of life. And so God, heal every broken heart, mend every broken thing, and Jesus, we cling to your promise that you have overcome the world. We love you, God. We pray in your mighty, holy, awesome name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together? Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.